Welcome to the Warrior Mindset Podcast. We are your guide as you make your way through life, getting better 1% every day. We believe that life is lived and true victory won through adversity. Nothing easy is ever worth it. We believe in the warrior ethos and support those that choose to walk that path. All right, people. I've been working on this one for a little bit. It's probably not as in-depth as I would like it to be, but man, I have just been obsessed with this person and doing research on this person. Mas Oyama. Literal badass in the martial arts. If you don't know who he is, that's okay, because that's the whole point of this episode. Like I said, I've been obsessed, and, um, you know, actually... Wikipedia has a pretty good entry on him. So I'm going to use a lot of that just to go through some of the background on him. And then I want to go into some other things. Um, I found some links. I'm going to use that. I'll reference those in my sources here. But man, what a badass. Mas Oyama. Masutatsu Oyama. Is a founder of Kyokushin Karate. Now, if you've been listening to the show... Or if you know me, you know I practice karate. I am a black belt, uh, second degree black belt in karate. And um, we practice a particular um, family that is related to Shotokan, which is under the great-grandfather in karate uh, that... Uh, Masuyama actually is attached to, um, in one way or another, uh, Gichin Funakoshi, where we practice a style Zen Shotokai, which is a, a descendant of Shotokan. Our founder trained directly with Gichin Funakoshi. There's some stories there. We'll get into him, um, which he probably deserves his own episode, um, just on his own right, but uh, needs a lot more research on my part. But for now, Mas Oyama, founder of Kyokushin Karate, is a sect of karate known uh, for its emphasis on physical conditioning and full contact sparring. So Kyokushin sparring is the type of sparring you've probably seen where they do not punch to the face. Okay, They don't punch to the head. They kick to the head, and they, they punch to the body, and they throw kicks um, really close. Um, really close level combat. And I'm pretty sure that the no face punching part is from uh, specifically uh, Masayama not wanting to kill his students, which is probably bad for business if you are in the business of killing your students. Um, I would just officially like to go on record and say that's a bad idea. Uh, he is Korean by birth and at a young age was sent to live on his sister's farm. He began studying Chinese martial arts around nine years old from a uh, close-by local farmer who we'll just call Lee. Um, not Bruce Lee or anything like that. This guy was before that, but um, who was, I think, I think this guy was working on the farm with him. Uh, his father uh was a composer of poetry. Um, 
so he was a poet, uh, probably a teacher. So it probably comes from uh, not a necessarily working class family per se. Um, but I don't know that for sure, and I'm just that's just conjecture. But uh, around 1938, he left Japan, left for Japan following his brother who enrolled in the um the Japanese Air Force basically the their aviation school he was going to be a pilot um so that he went to Japan and one story of his youth involves uh this this guy Lee this Chinese farmer uh giving him giving young Oyama a seed we told him to to plant it, and when it sprouted, he was to jump over the plant 100 times every day. And as the seed, the plant grew, as it grew and became a plant, you know, obviously it got taller. And he said later, uh, I was able to jump between walls back and forth easily. So, you know, from his very first inception in martial arts, he was uh, taught the benefit of being physically conditioned. Um, let's see here. Uh, Oyama also wanted to be a, uh, a pilot in the army. It was part of, um, something that he followed and wanted to get into. I don't know that, um, I, I think that probably he wasn't the best, um, I don't, you know, a lot of the things that I read, um, a lot of the things that I read, you know, put him as not the best student, um, you know, not very good at math, stuff like that. I don't, I don't want to, you know, more conjecture here. There's a lot of research you could do on that, but, um, basically he, he did try to become a pilot, um, but it didn't really work. Okay. It didn't work out. Uh, I think he was too young. I think he missed um, he re- he missed World War II for the most part, which is probably good because, from what I understand, he would basically have become, um, you know, a dive bomber pilot essentially uh, for the most part. Um, and we, we probably would have lost him before he was able to do anything. So, you know, from a historical perspective, perhaps it was a good thing. But from his perspective, as a a budding warrior, young warrior, he did not like that. And it continued to bother him um, through the rest of his life, probably is one of the reasons that drove him to be such a, a tough, um, hard man. So after uh, 1945-ish, after the war ended, he left that aviation uh, school, that situation, whatever, and he found a place in Tokyo to live and met his future wife. Uh, right around the same time, he enrolled in uh, university there and studied sports science. So he does have a, you know, even being the creator of Kyukushin, changed a lot of trajectory of karate, um, the history of karate. He does have a background in sports science, in exercising, in knowing how to become physically fit. Uh, he wanted to study martial arts. 
So wanting the best in instruction, he contacted the Shotokan Dojo there around the same time, operated by uh, Igo Funakoshi, who is the third son of, um, you know, famous karate master and founder of Shotokan, uh, Gichu Funakoshi. So he, he trained in the family, basically. He became a student, began his lifelong career in karate. Um, but remember, he was Korean, living in Japan. So feeling like a foreigner in a strange land, he often was an isolated individual who, uh, you know, you know, kind of trained by himself. Uh, later he attended, uh, a different university in Tokyo and was accepted as a student at, at the, uh, dojo of Gichi Funakoshi, where he trained for two years. So again, he's trained in the family, even under the master. Oyama then he later studied Gojo Ryu, which is, uh, more Okinawan in its origin, and, you know, definitely older, but more in line with what Gichi Funakoshi originally trained himself. Um, it's more in that family. Uh, because again, uh, not again, but Gichi Funakoshi's uh, creation of Shotokan was a, you know, it, it definitely wasn't, there's a lot of history there. That's a whole other podcast. But um, it was just uh, the same type of stuff, just made different to, to be taught to the masses is essentially what he, what, Funakoshi created. So Oyama would have learned that. He would have understood that that's what Funakoshi was doing or had done. He would have he would have understood that, interpreted it for himself, which is probably why he searched out the Gojo Ryu. He searched out the more um, originating, more Okinawan family of karate. Um, around the time where he was in Tokyo, it's known that he was uh, basically getting in fights with U.S. military police, with U.S. soldiers, like getting in fist fights and things. Um, <clears throat> he has a quote, I lost many friends during the war. The very morning of their departure as kamikaze pilots, we had breakfast together, and in the evening their seats were empty. After the war ended, I was angry, so I fought as many U.S. military as I could until my portrait was all over the police station. So there you go. He would probably have been a kamikaze pilot. We probably would have never had his um, great uh, input into karate. So in my opinion, it's a good thing. However, I'm sure in his, he was lesser of a man for having not become a kamikaze pilot. But the result of that is that it made him, I mean, let's face it, he didn't like the U.S. He didn't like Americans then. So he got in fights with them. Why are you here? And he would probably just get into these arguments. I couldn't imagine being on the other side of that guy's fist. But So that's probably a big reason why he does what I'm about to talk about. And um, probably one of the more badass things that he's known for. So Oyama retreated to a lone mountain to train his mind, spirit, and body by himself. 
His original plan was to spend three years on Mount Minobu in, in uh, Yamanashi Prefecture, Japan. He built a little shack on the side of the mountain, and he lived there. Um, so think about that. That is crazy. He wanted to train by himself on the side of a mountain or on a mountain for three years. That was his goal. Um, one of his students at the time named Yashiro went with him, but after a little while, uh, Yashiro snuck away one night and left him. He ditched him. Uh, it's written that the loneliness and harsh training were very grueling. And Oyama remained on that mountain training by himself for 14 months. And when he came back to Tokyo, he was much stronger and just freaking fierce. So he came back a hard, hard ass man, which I would think you'd have to be after spending 14 months by yourself on a mountain. What like punching trees and carrying around rocks. Um, he he credited uh, the Book of Five Rings by Miyamoto Musashi, Miyamoto Musashi, um, for changing his life completely. And according to his own legend, it's the only book he took with him. So he took the Book of Five Rings with him, and that's what he trained, studied, and meditated on. So this this first run of fourteen months or whatever, he was forced to leave the mountain. Uh, after a sponsor stopped supporting him. So, you know, he didn't just go up on the side of a mountain and live by himself. I mean, he, you know, someone had to, I mean, like a fighter, like a modern UFC fighter or whatever, someone has to pay for that. So he had a sponsor. And I guess 14 months with was all he could stand. So he came back down. A few months later, he won the karate uh, of the Japanese National Martial Arts Championship. He won the karate championship um but and he had a lot of success but he was not happy he was very distraught that he didn't reach his goal of the three years so i i guess he got another sponsor or he saved his money probably a bit of both and he went back up the mountain this to a different mountain but he went back up the mountain and he trained for another 18 months man so you know, he became a different person through these different um, retreats. That's a long time, but it makes sense to me. 1963, he wrote his famous book, What is Karate? Um, it was a U.S. bestseller, sold over a million copies all over the world. And it's considered by many to be the Bible of karate to this day. I have a copy myself. I just purchased one, an older used copy. Um, and it is quite, quite an expansive book. And it's pretty awesome. There's, there's some sections in the back about um, specialized training for, uh, it's basically like badass training. It's like, breaking stuff with your hands and you know he was known for um 
if you if you've ever watched uh, Karate Kid and um, Miyagi, Mr. Miyagi, they're on the beach. Daniel's like training balance on a on a pole on the beach or whatever. And uh, these drunk, they come back to Mr. Miyagi's truck, and there's some drunk guys have been drinking on it. And they've got their beer bottles sitting there, and um, you know they they they're being very racist towards Mr. Miyagi and trying to start a fight. And he just does a, a shuto, which is a knife strike palm up um, technique with your hand. You hold your hand like a you know like a blade, and he just chops the top of these bottles off. When the bottom of the bottles were still staying, were still sitting there. He just kind of like whack and chops the tops of them off. Uh, I'm pretty sure that they did that because of this guy, because he's known for that, and he writes a bit about it in his book "What Is Karate?" about how to approach that, doing that um, very thing. So this guy was the guy who did that. Um, so let's talk about Kyokushin. Kyokushin uh, karate is. Masayama's in it's I don't know about his invention, but it's his his it's his creation of his interpretation of what karate should be. He opened his own dojo around nineteen fifty three, Oyama Dojo. Uh and he was teaching Gojo Ryu in Tokyo. He traveled all around Japan giving in the world giving demonstrations. So I think at this time, you know, he's uh, beco- becoming, starting to form his, uh, I don't necessarily want to just use the words opinion, but it's, he's forming his um, demonstrations, his ability to demonstrate what Kyokushin should be um, by him doing things in, in, in live uh, by himself. So one of the things, along with like the bottle and breaking things, um, be it river rocks or bricks or whatever with his hands. He also um, was known for knocking, like basically punching live bulls in the head and knocking them out. Um, he would wrestle bulls and knock them out, and then he would rip the horn off the side of their head, which, you know, PETA would go insane. Um, but, you know, again, this is 1953. Uh, yeah. Regardless, that's kind of a crazy feat, kind of badass. Um, and one of the, one of the, um, I found one record that was like, nah, uh, one of them wasn't a bull; it was just a cow. I mean, okay. His uh, dojo was first located outside in an empty lot. Okay, so he originally started training outside in the elements, which is what he's known for. He's known for. Um, taking his students um, through the elements, up the mountain, in the snow, jumping in cold water, you know. Um, then it moved into a, a more traditional type situation. As he developed his curriculum, he became, he developed the reputation as being tough, intense, hard-hitting, but very practical. He finally developed this into Kyukushin Kai. Uh, officially, Japan Karate Do Kyokushin Kai, which means the ultimate truth in 1957. So, there we have that. 
he also built a reputation of being very rough with his students. As training sessions were grueling and they were injuring themselves in practice because they fought a lot. Um, full contact type fighting was pretty common in his dojo. Um, along with other um, emphasis in his karate, like around breaking things like boards, tiles, bricks. And he did this not as like modern demonstrations of breaking more are like just, they feel to me kind of like just showing off. I know if you're listening to this and you do breaking, you probably hate me, but um, you know, they, they come off a lot more as just showing off. Um, but the way um, Oyama used them was to, uh, use them as a as a measurement for your offensive ability, and it, because of that belief in that type of measurement, it becomes one of Kyokushin's trademarks to this day. Um, the ba- breaking of baseball bats, or having bats broken on you, or uh, you know, the man fought bulls. Okay, he believed in the practical application of of karate and declared that ignoring breaking is no more useful than a fruit tree that bears no fruit. <laughs> um, he probably had, had a more colorful way to say that, but when in writing was said this way. 1964, he moved his school into the building that would serve as Kyukushin Home Dojo and World Headquarters forever. Um, in connection with this, he also... Uh, formerly founded the international karate organization Kyokushin Kai, Kaikan. Uh, we call it IKO or IKOK, internationally recognized, to organize many other schools that were beginning to teach the Kyokushin style. So he was a very, uh, I don't want to say entrepreneurial, but he thought about its growth and he thought about its existence beyond him, and he built a uh, system of uh, business, essentially, and schools and charters and recognition to let that um, become much larger than him, even though he was such a large uh, figure on top of Kyokushin. How could he not be? 19, here's a little more history. 1961, All Japan Student Open Karate Championship, one of his students, Tadashi Nakamura, it was then 19 years old, uh, Made his one, he won a bunch of stuff, first places and stuff. Uh, but I mentioned him because later he becomes uh, Masayama's chief instructor. And he's in that book. Uh, this is karate, he's listed in that book. Uh, he was also a founder and starter of the first All Japan Full Contact Karate Open Championships, which took the karate world by storm at the time. Um, and another uh, of his students became the very first champion and held that uh, title forever, basically. (laughs) Um, He, it was first held in Tokyo and he has, uh, and they have done that for over 40 years ever since. Oh, uh, Sorry, let me, rec- let me correct that. They do it 
every four years and have been doing it ever since. So it's not a yearly thing. It is a, a bigger build-up event, which is probably why it's, uh, you know, it's popular in, in and of itself. Um, after formally establishing Kyokushin Kai, the organization, he directed that through a very large period of expansion. Um, uh, he and his uh, chief instructors and staff handpicked instructors. Uh, but he didn't just pick people. This is, this is pretty smart. I, I, I actually dig this part. Um, and I think there's a lot of lessons to learn here. It requires more study. Um, he didn't just pick people who won tournaments or who were the best at fighting. He picked people who were also good at um, selling and marketing and getting new members. He put people in charge of specific things because they had talent to do those things, not just because they were, uh, you know, the, be- the guy who could break the most boards was not in charge of the marketing. Which makes sense. And, you know, a lot of times in these, you see this in, um, you know, even modern, more modern um, sports organizations, right? You'll have, like, the best wide receiver of all time is now the spokesman. And it's like, well, he kind of can't speak very well, but yet he's there. Um, Oyama would choose an instructor to open a dojo in another town or city in Japan, whereupon the instructor would move to that town typically demonstrate his skills in public. Okay. Um, they would go out there to whatever, like police stations, gymnasiums, you know, uh, whatever sports things, judo, local park, um, festivals, whatever. And in this way, they would, that's sort of their marketing. They would, they would expose their, their ways and, and he would get a few students and, um, you know, then they ensured that the quality was there. So after a while, it would spread until it had a dedicated core of students. He also sent instructors to other countries, such as the U.S., Netherlands, England, Australia, and Brazil, to spread it in the same way. He also promoted it by having by holding the All Japan Full Contact Karate Open Championship every four years, and the World Full Contact Karate Open Championship. Um, was unique in that you could enter this full contact fighting championship with any style. Um, I have not looked into what the rules necessarily were or what that was for every style, but if that's true, then perhaps this is one of the, one of the first, um, one of the originating factors of the UFC ultimate fighting championships that we have now. Um, so, you know, it, it's a testament to putting what you believe to the test. You know, here's a man who, um, he studied karate under the greatest masters to have spread the art and believes in what he's doing to the point where he will invite others to come and uh, literally duke it out and see who's better. That's cool. Um, also, you know, it, it's going to draw people. It's going to draw people, and it's going to draw a certain type of person, 
which is probably the type of person that he would want to train with him. Some cool mindset in terms of uh, the way you're approaching growing your art. Other things here that don't necessarily fit in a timeline, but I pulled out, um, call this the notes section. Um, Oyama also devised the 100-man kumite, which he himself would go on to uh, do three times in a row over the course of three days. I guess they called that 300-man. He was known for his toughness. If you blocked one of his strikes, you would in turn be injured. He was, in fact, injured during that three-day 100-man uh, or 300-man, but he continued on and was preparing for a fourth day. But the rumor is that it didn't happen because no one else wanted to keep fighting with him. They were done. They were beaten up, injured, or they were like, bro, you proved it. <laughs> so here he is, even later in life, still trying to prove that he's a warrior, I think because he missed being part of the war. I'm sure there's other childhood traumas that, you know, the man wasn't dealing with. I don't think many people did in the 50s, but, you know, it's a different time, it's a different breed of person, even in Japan. But I'm sure that's what was driving him. Uh, Again, he was known for fighting bulls barehanded. He fought over 50 of them over the course of his lifetime. Um, and again, supposedly, um, you know, removing the horns with his shuto, um, and killing three instantly with one, one strike, which earned him the nickname of God hand. What a hell of a nickname. And to get it from punching a bull to death. (laughs) Uh, yeah. Um, imagine lining up to spar with that dude. Later in life, he had osteoarthritis, which if you know anyone who's had osteoarthritis, it is not pleasant. It is a very painful form of arthritis, and it's degenerative. Um, despite this, he never quit training, and he continued to hold demonstrations uh, of his karate, which always included breaking objects. He wrote over 80 books, and he died at 70 in Tokyo due to lung cancer. Um, so there's that. There's more. That's just all that I have here pulled out. Um, so I found another, another post and I'll I'll give it credit here, but I want to go through this and my, um, my point of view on it and why I dig this stuff so much. So here are some lessons, inspiration from Masayama that we can gain. Number one. Go all in. Give it 100%. The the time he spent training on that mountain and committing to, to joining the military, I mean, that's something. So the reality is that if you can't truly commit to one thing, right, you aren't putting in your best efforts. 
It doesn't mean you have to love doing one task. I mean, after all, it is rumored that he needed letters from his teacher often to support him, to, to keep him training on that mountain, you know, when he was only a couple of months in, right? I mean, you're going to need motivation. But like Oyama, if you commit to your goal, right, if you have a goal in life and you commit to it fully, even if you don't reach that goal, even if you don't specifically win in the thing that you said, you st- you're still a winner because you committed and the growth is what got you there. So he didn't do his three years, but it changed him for the better and it brought him down off that mountain and he created something that changed karate as we know it or as we knew it. Be your best even when you're at your worst. He obviously was dedicated to his craft. Once he committed... He couldn't back down even at his worst. After proving himself, he came the first time he came off that mountain and he he won his championship. He then later returned to finish because he wanted to finish what he started. He didn't do it all at one time. It wasn't what he originally set out to do, but he did finish it. And when he descended from that mountain, he came down like a beast. His power was immense and uncontested, but even he had moments of near-fatal injury. Uh, like, like we said, he fought over 300 matches in three days, full contact, non-stop fighting to the 100 people per day. No breaks, no breathers. You know, even if you begin like a beast, that's going to wear you down. And, and he was injured as well. Um, but he committed and he did it. He demonstrated his true worth, not only by enduring these fights through the injuries, but also winning every fight. He had incredible strength, but his strongest ability was that he didn't submit in the face of injury or fatigue. He could, he found how to be his best, even at his worst. Um, I, you know, there are several instances in my life. Um, my sensei says, never let them know you're tired. They may beat you up, but don't let them beat you down is another one. Um, I've heard that before. Like, like I've seen, uh, other students in, in fight class that they're tired and they're like hands on their knees or they're like hunched over. And I've seen Sensei, and there's another well-known fighter, Jotty Tension, who will say, like, stand up straight. Don't ever show him you're tired. Don't put your knees on your, put your hands on your knees, right? Be your best even at your worst, even when you're about to barf. Stand tall. And, you know, I hate that. It's one of the things, like in CrossFit, you'll see people, like, finish a tough workout, and they're, like, flopped over on the floor, laying there half dead and stuff. And, you know, I kind of get it when it's, like, you know, the fittest CrossFitters in the world having just beat the other fittest CrossFitters in the world. And they have 
just given every ounce of blood and sweat that they could literally generate and they're done and they just fall over because they can't physically stand up anymore. But that's not really the case in most everyone else in a CrossFit gym. Like you, you are not pushing that hard. And then to do that, it's, it's like you're emulating those people. That's not you at your best. Someone told me a long time ago, that they like to, when they finished a hard workout and they felt like that, they would still, they would stand up, they put their foot on the barbell. Like they'd stand there like uh, Captain Morgan or whatever. They put their foot on the barbell or whatever because they are now dominating that barbell. And I like that, and I tend to try to do that uh, myself. I, I, will, I will get up quick or I will just not go down or, or immediately start putting my stuff up or, some, or whatever because I don't want to give in to that um, end state. Number three, mind, body, spirit. He was alone on the mountain. Legend says, I don't know if this is true or not, but he trained 12 hours a day, seven days a week. No one pushing him, no one critiquing him. He had to figure out who he truly was to endure that in the solitude. Physical training also trains your mind and spirit. Focus, determination, discipline are all parts of the puzzle. He believed the way through was through physical training, much like Navy SEALs today. They go through hell week. Um, the way through in finding who you truly are is to put yourself physically at your worst. You think you can focus. You think you have discipline. You think you have determination. You think you're tough. Go put yourself in that situation by training hard physically and see who you really are on the other side. It's called testing your heart. He believed it. I believe it. I'm probably not alone if you're listening to this podcast. Number four, simplify. He removed what he thought was extraneous techniques, katas, etc., and focused on his striking power. He pulled that old school one strike, one kill um, approach back, um, simplifying it down. Uh, I don't know exactly how deep that goes. I don't have an opinion one way or the other um, on what he did with his curriculum, you know, in terms of removing extraneous stuff. Um, I do know there are a little Kyokushin is more physical training focused and fighting focused versus more of the uh, more traditional karate related things like there's not really a mention of kabuto which is training with weapons at all which is probably more okinawa than the japanese uh there will be many many different fitness programs created in the world i mentioned crossfit earlier it's another one but you just can't beat the tried and true methods of getting into shape and losing weight um, in terms of simplifying it, it is more simple than we like to make it out to be. And I think he would probably be a person that believes that uh, we are generally overcomplicating everything nowadays. So there's that Masayama. I hope this was fun for you. It was fun for me to learn about him. I'd been slowly reading about him over time and just wanted to go crazy one day and try to put some info together for all of you because I'm a fan if you train Kyokushin, 
hit me up. Let me know. Um, let me know who you are and where you train. I would love to know. And again, I would love to know more now what it's like in a Kyokushin Dojo versus uh, an older Kyokushin Dojo, like say from the 80s. Um, be very fascinated in that. Until next time, if you know of someone who likes stuff like this, please send them the link to the website. That's all I ask. Until next time, get after it, y'all. <laughs>